0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of QSR Uncut. I'm your host, Danny Klein, Editorial Director at QSR, I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Ben Coley, as always. And this week, we actually have two guests, so it's a crowded room. First time we've ever had four people on QSR Uncut, so I hope you all enjoy the. what promises to be a very interesting conversation. We have the uh, Culinary Edge with us. So we have CEO Graham Humphreys and senior strategist Montina Felice. If I I always pronounce at least one thing incorrectly on these intros. So I'm gonna open up the floor to you guys to introduce yourselves, talk a little bit about the culinary edge and what you all do and kind of just inform our listeners and yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, thank you for squeezing us in here. Um At the Culinary Edge, we're a small, quite interesting company. Um, You could call us an innovation agency for the food and food service industries. Um, If you swing by here, RHQ, you're going to see chefs from Michelin star backgrounds, some food anthropologists and researchers, some experts in operations and brand and design, and everybody works together on a single team. Um, And we get asked to invent the future of what we eat and drink, which is a great job. Um, In practice, that means... We might be evolving the next gen of a restaurant chain that we all know and love, or we might be creating a new restaurant chain, Um, the concept, the experience, the brand, and the design. Or we might be creating new food and beverage items for you to grab on the grocery aisle uh, and the retail shelves. But if you haven't heard our name, you've probably
0: tasted our food. Right. And and just for some background, for those of you who who maybe aren't familiar with the Culinary Edge, one of their kind of lead concepts that you've probably seen in QSR, and if you're in the Bay Area, you know, Starbird, which is a premium chicken concept in a very crowded premium chicken world. So, you know, if you want to talk a little bit about that concept, how it came about, what really makes it stand out, you know, and then we'll get a little bit into the, the kind of more fun things of just talking about creating restaurant concepts in general, which is a fascinating topic, because I think one of the things about this industry that people love and often from the sidelines want to get involved is it seems like a Great place to really come and sort of live a dream you might have had. Or there's always people who sit around and say, "Oh, I could start a restaurant." And most of the time, it's very not true. And I would tell them, "You have to be crazy to get into this business." Um, but you know, I think what you all do really brings light to that because there's so many steps to really going from just I cook delicious food to actually here's a restaurant that works. But I think a good place to start would be Starboard and to kind of talk about you know, what that brand is and, and how it came about.
2: Absolutely. Starboard, I think we're we're lucky to have a little bit as a as a great claim to fame at the Culinary Edge. And I think it the the idea for Starbird came around in, in twenty fourteen when I think, you know, the people working at the Culinary Edge really said, you know, we're we're advising people on on how to operate their restaurants. And you know, this is something that some of the people at our company have done, but you know, we, we come from, as Graham Graham was mentioning, a pretty wide variety of backgrounds. And so I think it was a little bit about, you know, putting putting the the, the proof in the pudding or putting the proof in the, the crispy chicken. Um, and so we, you know, leveraged all of our, our processes and our expertise to create this restaurant brand. And we are uh, it launched in 2016. We're up to nine units now um, with four virtual brands in addition to our core brand, which has been very exciting. Um, and, you know, we're. We're really fortunate to have been a brand that has seen, you know, really substantial growth even during COVID-19. And I think it's been a really great sort of um, I- innovation and experimentation ground for us to really test out things that, you know, are on the forefront of trends and the marketplace and, and really kind of prove them out. It gives us, you know, a really um, excellent source of ex- experience when we're going out and advising our clients.
0: What do you What do you think of the chicken sandwich wars? I feel like we're in a little bit of a lull, not quite being talked about a lot these days, given the fact that there's so many other, you know, issues on the table. But I mean, when that was all going on, just, you know, sitting from your realm, did that seem like something that was good for the industry? Is it something that has legs, you know, was it just kind of a fun marketing opportunity for brands? I mean, I think as a consumer, it was actually pretty awesome because a lot of these restaurant chains dropped sandwiches that were so far superior to what you know, they would have offered, you know, sans that being such a big move on, on Popeye's side and and what kind of followed. And of course they were following the dollars as, as people in QSR often do. But I mean, what were you thinking there, you know, sitting around a table and of course you've got a chicken concept and you probably have a lot of clients that are saying we want to get into this chicken arena right now. I mean, what, what was that kind of like from the consultant and from the brand creator side?
2: Yeah, you know, I do think a, a big chunk of it was obviously about kind of the marketing and, and being able to make these splashes and kind of seeing who could get there first. But to your point, a lot of them came out at just really phenomenal quality. They were really like fun, brand worthy items. I think the chicken wars is actually a lot of culmination of, uh, you know, a, a kind of a major macro trend that we kind of based the creation of Starbird on. We've seen that there is this rising consumption of chicken that has now been going on for decades. Kind of with no sign of stopping people are moving away from med- red meat they're you know moving away from beef and pork and so there was sort of this i mean obviously chicken has always been available but you know there was kind of this sea of sameness it was always kind of these same few chicken products repeated over and over and over in concepts um but the marketplace was a little bit ripe for the same kind of innovation that we saw in the burger space right for a while it was like it went from being the classic hamburger to all of these different kind of more artisan or or innovative burger concepts like five guys and super duper and smash burger all of these places you know kind of bringing kind of the next level into that burger space i feel like we've now we're now kind of seeing that same level of innovation come into the chicken space and i feel like the chicken sandwich wars have really been like a culmination of that
0: right you know the burger point i've come to a point now where i don't know what a better burger really is anymore (laughs) as a consumer because they all cost the same as a better burger right you know and everyone claims to have some version of it you know down from mcdonald's up to the smallest fast casual and it's confusing actually to consumers and i think as brands how they even get credit for that now and you know what's worth investing in um just kind of a side rant there but you know, one thing uh, I think to point out to people too, you know, from your guys' perspective beyond Starbird, if you want to just talk about some examples of successful concepts that you have created, you know, that people might be familiar with, you know, out there on the market that reflect some of the work that you all have done.
2: Definitely. Um, over the years, there there have been several, um, you know, some that we can talk about. Uh, it, we've helped create Rome Artisan Burger, which is up to five units in the Bay Area. Um, we helped create Bunmi, um, which is in San Francisco. We also worked on a concept called Wild Cypress, which was a, a sandwich, a kind of artisan sandwich concept that launched in Tijuana. Um, most recently, you know, we helped uh, a concept called Dom's Kitchen and Market, which is a, a kind of a grocery restaurant hybrid or or grocerant, um, which wanted to create kind of these six distinct food service outlets inside their market. And you know, it, it gave, you know, we kind of helped design kind of the individual identities and menus and concepts as well as designing kind of how they all, you know, interacted with each other. How can I leverage the prep being done at this one to create the menu I you know, the menu items over here and have all these really beautiful operational efficiencies while still creating what, you know, was truly six very distinct concepts that could very much stand alone within this marketplace. We've also got a couple of new concepts that are underway that we're helping some clients uh, develop. Unfortunately, we can't give uh, tons of details on these yet, um, but they are tackling some really big marketplace trends, things like, you know, the future of plant-based eating, um, as well as kind of the convenience of the drive-through.
0: Yeah, plant, plant-based eating is one of our favorite topics here on the podcast in recent uh, weeks mainly around what we would, I guess, call fake meat, um, which I know is not a term that they really enjoy using from their side. You know, whether we call it plant-based meat or impossible beyond those kind of things and what the future of that segment is. And, you know, there's, there's often been a kind of a story of whether or not this is a trial product. Is there a product geared toward carnivores? Is it for flexitarians? Is it the type of thing that a vegetarian might seek out in fast food or You know, is it just a matter of it becoming something that's its own type of product? Which you know we talked about just you know yesterday with um, a Mediterranean brand was that that he hopes that it gets to a point where plant-based meat is looked at as being plant-based meat and not as being an alternative necessarily to how meat tastes. Um, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Just kind of on a on a broad level of where you think that movement's going.
1: Yeah, you know, if you think about plant-based meats or plant-based eating, or you're thinking about the chicken sandwich wars, it can get a little dizzying to think about where all these hundreds and thousands of different movements are actually going. And we take an approach that we call uh, human-centered design uh, to this, to first of all understand, well, what are the big trends? I think Montina's been talking about some of them away from red meat towards chicken, Um, And that was the start of how we conceived Starbird and towards convenience and um, um, also identifying a space in the market that was, uh, you know, um, underserved at that point. It was uh, more premium than QSR, but it was less premium than um, uh, other concepts and other alternatives. And so by being in the right place at the right time, Starbird's in a very good place and is a very successful brand with big growth prospects. And it's that human-centered design approach we think about, well, what are the movements and what are the changes in behaviors and the way that people want to eat? And when it comes to plant-based, I think there's a couple of things going on. Um, People don't want to be put in a box. I think that while vegan food is on the rise, for instance, um, people who identify as solely vegans in a restrictive way are not. But people want to be able to eat vegan when they want to be able to eat vegan. People want to be able to eat plants when they want to be able to eat plants. People want to be able to do their own thing on their own time in their own way. Um, so I think that that in that way, certainly we're going to be seeing more optionality in different ways of eating and different, different kind of concepts which have different kinds of food values and different kinds of nutritional offerings. Um, on the other hand, I think that... Um, folks that want to compromise want to compromise less and less so another trend that we're going to get is the, the compromises that we were all brought up with which is you can have convenience or you can have quality or you know you can have health or you can have something which feels indulgent those compromises are being closed so we're going to start getting vegan options and vegan food in the qsr space that feels just as indulgent and just as satiating and just as appetizing as anything which is non-vegan or traditional, if you like. And we're going to start getting, you know, convenience store food that feels a little bit, you know, more like I'm going to, you know, rather than getting uh, food from a gas station, you'll be getting your gas from a restaurant, if I can put it that way.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I I, I feel like fast casual really put a dent in that convenience quality trade off debate that existed maybe 15 years ago. But then I think COVID really kind of ended it in a lot of ways, especially on the digital side, this idea that what you get through, you know, delivery or takeout or whatever it might be, is, is just going to be worse than what you would get inside the restaurant. And you're trading off that fact that you don't have to leave your house for the quality. You know, those, those kind of you know, consumer accepted preferences, I feel like are mostly gone now because everybody does delivery and everybody has digital ordering and all these different things. So if you're not good at the drive-through, for example, you know, somebody might just go somewhere else that they are. And that and that's really where this has become a much more crowded conversation. And I think to your point, the quality side of that is where fast casual really disrupted that and then forced a lot of those major quick serves to start investing in premium you know burgers and getting rid of frozen meat (laughs) and and some of these other things to, to come closer to that you know quality wheel that fast casual kind of begun to spin in you know 2010 or whenever you really want to kind of credit the explosion of that category but before we get into more topics of which we have a lot we will get some of ben's deals for the week we actually recorded a podcast yesterday so this is him really scouring for more deals, which we'll give him credit for getting six here in the matter of uh, two days. But the good thing about quick service is that there are always deals, you know, and that's kind of the reality of it. So what do you have for us this week, man? Well,
3: the beauty, Danny, is that we are a, uh, a quick service publication, so it's uh, easier, t- t- takes kind of the barrier away from me finding these deals that usually come to us, um, so it's good, um, as, as for me as a consumer as well. Um, the first one, is uh raising canes? They are giving. They are um celebrating um their sauce being num named being named number one. Um, so they're um giving away free cane sauce to all um caniac club members throughout the month of December. And um, the description they gave for their sauce in their press release, they described. It. I've never had it. Um, there aren't raising canes um in North Carolina. I don't believe. Um, so I haven't had the pleasure of having it, but it's described as tangy with a little bit of spice and full of flavor. So,
0: if Is you're a fan, are re- they giving away bottles of it or the?
3: No, it's I just like that... um, I'm not. Actually, I'm not sure how they're giving it I mean, away. Um,
0: Hard for packets. <laughs> not really. I've never been to Raising Cane's. It, it must. It must be in
3: some kind of uh, a unique it. package form. Um, but uh, yeah, they're. Um, it, it's a. It's a. I think it's a deal exclusive for their um, reward member, So. It's, uh, right. Whenever I see the word
0: free, my eyes light up. So I, that one had to be first. Yeah, nothing is free now unless you give somebody some information about yourself. Right. Well, that's the, true. There is an exchange there. Nothing is, no, no
3: such thing as a free lunch. That's true. I was um, thinking to
0: myself the other day on Black Friday that this was probably the greatest single day in, in history to unsubscribe from emails. But, you know, just the sheer amount of things that I didn't realize that I had ever bought a product from on their website kind of came into focus you know in a matter of about three hours oh for sure yeah i, I see i click there's i get
3: plenty of emails from a lot of restaurants that i have not gone to in a while but like you just don't have the motivation to go to click on the email and then click on so you just kind of delete it and then you
0: see the same email pop up the next week yeah by the way please don't ever unsubscribe for any of our emails right yeah <laughs> I know that we seem to be promoting that that practice here, but um, don't do it for QSR ever if you can, or FSR for that matter.
3: Okay, the next one, Um, Mariah Carey. Uh, I I thought this was relevant because um, it's Christmas season, and what is the most popular song every year of the Christmas season? It's Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas, and... uh, I'm sure I don't know pl- if that's a good thing. for. Blaring <laughs> on radios. Funny. She makes probably millions of dollars every year from that one song. But anyway, um, she has a virtual brand called Mariah's Cookies. It's been out for a few months now. It's produced by Virtual Dining Concepts, which has um, you know other celebrity-based uh, virtual brands. is kind of their thing. But um, specifically for Mariah's Cookies, they have a um, holiday trio of uh, new holiday cookies, um, gingerbread, cinnamon sugar, and chocolate raspberry truffle. And the quote in the press release, I thought it was funny. She said, uh, well, the quote linked to Mariah Carey. We don't, uh, we, I don't want to get too meta here, but we don't know if Mariah Carey actually said this or not. But the quote said she FaceTimed Santa over the summer to get his top three flavors. And that's what they came up with. I thought that was funny when I read it. But um, so gingerbread. Yeah, there's, no chan- there's
0: no chance she said that. Yeah. It's
3: not- C- gingerbread, cinnamon sugar, and chocolate raspberry truffle are the
0: holiday flavors for that um, virtual brand. Plus, she has a uh, a thing with McDonald's right now, too, which is... Does she? Mm. Yeah, I didn't realize Mariah Carey was making a fast food comeback right now, but mm. apparently that's on deck for the season. She's
3: getting her hands in everything. Um, the third thing is from Smashburger. We had um, Smashburger on the podcast uh, recently. They just released a chorizo cheeseburger. It's their... Uh, First Mexican-inspired burger. It, they and they partnered with uh, Chef Rick Bayless on this uh, product. And uh, if you're not familiar with who she- Chef Rick Bayless is, he's the uh, the winner of Ch- Top Chef Masters. Um, and this uh, is going to be available through um, February 22nd. It's a, it's an LTO. Um, and it's interesting because chorizo seems to um, be gaining momentum, I guess, throughout the industry because Chipotle actually tested, um, plant-based chorizo back in August after cutting it in, uh, 2017. So, um, a couple of, well, um, we know who
0: we can ask if that's true or not. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the culinary edge team here, whether or not they've seen chorizo as being a specific, uh, thing to keep an eye out for, you know, on the menu side. Yeah. Is that, is that something you guys have, uh, seen as of late?
2: I think we are seeing it more and more, you know, there's obviously this huge trend about consumers seeking out kind of more authentic preparations, more heritage preparations of like foods they know and love. So you're seeing a lot of, you know, maybe Americanized versions of things like Mexican food, Chinese food, et cetera, kind of start to take on more authentic um, versions Um, and, and, you know, consumers not just being like open to that, but being really excited and seeking it out. So um, I think Teresa 100%, 100% falls into that, that category.
3: Yeah I really do think that's true because I do remember um I think it was Shake Shack if I'm not mistaken they released um s- some Korean inspired um food um a few months back See, so uh, that there's definitely do you do see that uh that kind of more, uh, like kind of um normalizing these uh, what's been in the past perceived as more exotic dishes kind of being more normalized in the in the quick service space so that's
0: I definitely seen
3: that um many instances over the past few months, in the past couple of years.
0: Yeah, I think, I think quick service has that opportunity always to help familiarize, you know, adventurous, you know, quote unquote flavors to a broader audience in a familiar way. I think during COVID, you know, as I'm sure you all saw at the culinary edge team, there was really this movement toward, you know, comfort food, whatever that might be. In my head, that was just pizza (laughs) basically in terms of what we were seeing. Um, but, you know, moving forward you know, I, I do think we've already started to go back into a little bit more of a discovery phase for the consumer, which was really what was coming before COVID in terms of people seeking out more choice in their restaurants and more global flavors and things of that nature. And, and I guess, you know, if we're now starting to talk about trends, you know, I think this is a good time here in December and what you're seeing in the quick service space. And, you know, whether or not that's one of them, you know, maybe what are some things that do stand out you know, right now for you guys and what you're seeing and, you know, how we're maybe emerging from a little bit of this quarantine fog, even though, of course, we've got a new variant and a million other problems to consider. But I mean, what are you all just seeing from a trend standpoint, you know, in yeah. quick service right now?
1: No, I, I think that it's interesting, you picked up on Shake Shack, and they got a little blow black, blowback, I think, on the cultural appropriation front uh you know for the uh uh you know for that item that you mentioned and i think that there's there's a tightrope to walk between sure you know bringing new flavors and popularizing them and making them mainstream you've got to make them approachable you've got to make them something that you know uh uh, consumers and audiences are going to understand and say okay this is familiar to me but there's an additional element that i want to try and I'll, i'll try that one one new thing and uh you don't also want to fall off on the side of, you know, you've just appropriated this thing from another culture, you know, not, uh, uh, interpreted it, um, authentically or not interpreted it, um, fully and transparently. And then, you know, folks these days, um, are looking for more than that. They're looking for adventure. They're looking for authentic stories around their food and, um, uh, and they're looking for approachability all at the same time. And that's quite a needle to thread.
2: I, I think, too, in the especially in the quick service world, we're seeing, and I, I think this sort of stems from what, what Graham's talking about. people are looking for authentic stories. You know, I think especially as things move more into a digital world, you're doing more online ordering, you're setting foot into fewer places. There really is this need to have... You know more of a brand that actually speaks to who you are it's not enough to just have a logo and some fonts and a color palette you need to have a value set and you know your brand needs to have a personality and a way of speaking and a way of showing up that kind of fills out all of the you know the rest of the story that kind of surrounds your food in a way that you know can help consumers attach to it because you know there's just so many options when you're scrolling through a third-party delivery platform and consumer trust is, you know, kind of in general, pretty, pretty low. And so, you know, having that kind of full, full brand suite and really, really having your full story defined in a way that's, you know, you know, easy for guests to understand, um, you know, and can be absorbed by all of the elements that are surrounding your food as well as the food itself is is really important.
0: Yes, I have a question about that. You mentioned virtual brands before and, and People scrolling through that third party marketplace, which historically has always been really to me very product focused. You know, I want chicken and just kinda go look for it on there. And and there are a lot of different I've seen a lot of statistics, you know, people say, Oh, you know, I don't like this idea that I don't know where the food comes from or I don't know where this brand is based. And I think a lot of times that's just if you're gonna ask someone that in a survey and you say, What are your thoughts on getting, you know, DoorDash from a restaurant that you've never heard of and someone's going to say, oh, yeah, I don't really like that idea. But then they keep ordering from it anyway. But, you know, survey data, sometimes you have to look through the lines. But I guess my question is, for those who are creating virtual brands, as, as you all are, how do you achieve some of those things, you know, from the branding standpoint without a brick and mortar location, you know, without the fact that people have heard of you before or you're, you know, building you know, a digital product from a very recognizable restaurant chain. I mean, what are some ways you can hold on to that story and to tell people who you are and to get that kind of credit, you know, being someone who's sprung up in, you know, a a virtual world?
1: Yeah. You know, this is a really interesting question. We've learned a lot about this by doing over the last, you know, couple, three years. Um, We've got four virtual brands right now. I think the one that... We're seeing the most growth in right now is Starbird Salads. Um, the, you know, we used to think that you had to have a brick and mortar store in order to support a virtual brand. That you needed that street side presence and that street side real estate in order to support digital real estate. We're now finding that you know that might not be true. Um, that you can launch a digital only brand, but we've started understanding that. Your third-party delivery platform, or your app, or your digital presence—that's your digital real estate—and um, you know the science of the, the new science of great real estate in uh, restaurants is the science of search engine optimization. So it's understanding, okay, you know, folks who you know, starboard salads is an indulgent salad, you know. It's the it's the um more fun version of a healthier option, if you like, for folks. So by understanding why people would want that salad, we can anticipate what they're gonna be searching for, where they're gonna be looking, the other alternatives that they have, and we very carefully um choose naming of the the brand of the items and then there's the presentational aspects, like exactly how we shoot the food, that speak to that understanding of what that person's looking for at that particular time. It's, we, we go back to human-centered design. You know, For us, we try and start with the people. We start with the people who are eating, who are searching, who are deciding, who are ordering, and understanding their needs, their thoughts, their feelings as best we can. And we're achieving some success from
3: that.
0: Yeah, what um, what do you think of those celebrity concepts? Are the are those something that that are going to continue to proliferate? I, I think one of the fun things about you know these past nineteen months is I was introduced to a lot of celebrities I had never heard of who suddenly had restaurant brands. Which, you know, I I think looking forward, you know, I think there's a lot of room for that to be. You know, can we tie virtual brands to people who actually have a background in food? And I feel like that's an underserved market, but. do you think this continues to be something that pops up i mean i know a lot of them have been wildly successful at least out of the gate you know i'm not sure how some of them have sustained but they definitely launched with a lot of buzz and a lot of sales but i mean what do you think the future of that is i mean is that something that the consumer is going to continue to gravitate toward i mean is that more powerful maybe than some of the brand value in the actual restaurants themselves which I feel like maybe they're admitting, you know, when they, when they link up on that level, but, um, what are, what are just kind of from your perspective, where is that headed?
2: You know, it's, it's interesting and this is, you know, maybe not the most helpful answer, but to some extent it's, it's kind of like when it's done well, it seems like a really viable business strategy and when it's done poorly, it's, it's not, um, No amount of celebrity endorsement I think will make you a long-term successful business if your food and your execution are core. So if you can do it while still nailing the core of the business, then, you know, yeah, why not? I think to the extent that we're talking about the fact that consumers want not just food and beverage, they want brand stories and and they want to know what you stand for and aligning yourself with a celebrity can deliver all of that in a very sort of neat, easy to understand package. Um, but you know, if if it's just a celebrity and you can't back it up with the goods, then you know it, it's gonna. You might get that initial hype, you might get that initial rise, but ultimately, you know that that's not that's only gonna last for so long. You're not gonna get that repeat business, and people aren't gonna keep throwing money at food that just doesn't taste good.
0: Right, I I think that that that's safe to say. <laughs> I think the, um, you know, I do think the. Uh, packaging that has gone with these celebrity brands is cool i think that that's a opportunity to maybe get people to just want to buy the packaging but yeah do they want to eat the food twice i guess we'll find out (laughs) yeah ben i know ben has a question um he has more than one but yeah i want to
3: i want to um begin with you know you've you've touched on it before and how you describe your process but just um the beginning of the process when you're approached with a project, you know, how does that work? You know, what does that kind of entail? And at one point, is there like a point where you kind of decide okay, we can move forward with this idea. This can kind of turn into something better, and or you decide okay, this probably isn't the uh, best idea to go forward with. Like take us through those initial stages of a project and, and how you got kind of guys kind of kind of march forward.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think for it, it obviously starts with a ton of research, and we do that both, you know, online from our from our computers, but also just by being out in the marketplace. We are constantly going on tours in different cities with clients, and you know, we're we're going to Minneapolis to look at the top ten sports bars. We're going to you know L.A. to see all the hottest new chicken concepts, et cetera. And so it really you know, you... sucks
0: to work at the culinary. It's <laughs> <Yes>. terrible. <laughs> it's <insane>. a <laughs> terrible, terrible job. Yeah, we're we're lucky if we you know get to. You know, walk to the nearby fast casual over here. It's a, we actually, we live in a, our our office is located in a city that has a drive through uh, ordinance. So there are no drive throughs here. So there's actually very few brands in the public well, service.
1: Place. Come and swing by.
0: We'll spring you. We'll spring you both. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're in North Carolina. So it's a long plane flight. But <laughs> Look, <laughs> a, the, the first, nice the
3: first time, time, time that you guys were like that was a scarf. The scarf scarf was a dead giveaway of what you guys were all about, I think it's uh
1: it's uh I, I live the
3: brand yes i would i would say so <laughs>
0: okay so anyway I'll, we're starting yeah. with a
2: bunch of market research <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, you know, I think to to what to what you know we've been talking about with human human centered design. You know, we, we're doing all this research in kind of an ongoing fashion. You know, so we we really have our pulse kind of on the marketplace and on trends at all times. But when we're starting out with any you know particular QSR concept creation, we're, we're starting with that human centered approach first, where we're looking at you know who our guest is going to be, what are their needs, what are the needs they might not be able to articulate that they have yet. You know, what are what are occasions for a consumer that a business might be able to cater to. And kind of what are those large kind of long-term macro trends, things like, you know, the the growing consumption of chicken that are really going to be able to support, you know, a long-term business success. And then from there, you're really kind of doing the marketplace research to understand where that white space is, you know, where is there a gap in the marketplace? Where is there an opportunity to serve a consumer differently than, you know, someone else, you know, than another business is serving it today? Where is there an opportunity for ownability? You know, it's not just enough that a consumer wants something and it's not just enough that there's a space in the marketplace, you know, where something isn't you know, where where another business isn't doing something. You have to really kind of marry those two to end up with something that, you know, is gonna be long term successful. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, you, you spoke about um, the white space and you know, it's it's such a crowded field nowadays when, when especially in the, the the popular categories of, you know, chicken, pizza and sandwiches. So when when the fields are and the categories are so saturated, you know how difficult or tricky is it to, to find um, where consumers are underserved or where there are opportunities to kind of grow and expand and how um, how um you know ob- how many obstacles are there are there with that that process and and how do you guys kind of get around it to a point where you guys find a product that is uh, much needed in the market.
2: Yeah, you know, it's a lot of kind of qualitative and quantitative kind of exploration of various concepts, you know, whenever we're looking to create, you know, a a new QSR concept, we're looking at kind of inspirational benchmarks, we're looking at, you know, concepts that are going to be local to the area where the concept might want to launch as well as national concepts that just so that we are benchmarking at every level. And you know, we'll we'll get kind of our, our big list of kind of the marketplace together and then we're evaluating all of those concepts and the factors sort of change based on what we think our, our value proposition might be. We might be plotting pizza concepts on a scale from healthier to indulgent. We might be looking at at price, um, you know, we might be looking at, you know, how chef driven versus how commodity something is. And so, you know, you're kind of you're kind of plotting things around in these in these different ways and, and seeing how all these different factors interact. Um, you know, with the goal of of being able to say, hey, like I actually think that there is an ownable white space there. I think there's a value proposition here. You know, that actually is going to deliver something that isn't already being delivered, and that might be you know a little bit of a combination of things or or, or something to that nature. Um, but it, it is a bit of a process. You know, you're you're rarely going to sit down and be like, ah, oh, yes, the market space. I've plotted the concepts. It's right there. Like you you know, you kind of have to go through a couple different iterations to to really figure out you know what the key factors are, what the key consumer needs are. Um, you know and and where there's genuine opportunity
1: it it's it is like three dimensional chess sometimes, and we can only do it because we've got the folks who are you know leading the food, leading the brand with the operational understanding with the research understanding all in the same room together. If we didn't have that, I don't think we could do this
3: right what well, what would you say is the um i guess the typical timeline of from ideation to rollout of a concept and how many um, different projects are you guys usually kind of juggling at once? The first
1: one, you know, it, it gets faster and faster. I think that we, we're we working with some groups right now that are very much on the front foot and very expedited. So I think it can be as, as fast as nine months from like a blank sheet of paper to uh, not knowing whether this is going to be about salad or spaghetti, right? And uh, from getting there to, yeah, we've broken ground. Um, we're a couple, you know, a couple of few weeks away from opening our first concept. Um, and then sometimes it can easily be 18 months. So between nine and 18 months, but it gets faster and faster. Um, and then how many projects we're we working on at once? I think that uh, um, this year we will have um, we'll have worked on 20 projects, and some of those will be about evolving brands that we know. Some of those will be about creating brand new concepts, and some of those are going to be about, you know, creating new uh, food and beverage items in the grocery store.
0: So I think it's probably safe to say that this past year, you know, other than COVID, of course, that chicken chains were maybe the thing that we talked about most here at QSR, and just in terms of what was on trend and what was growing you know I, I would probably say sandwich concepts maybe face some some of the harshest challenges there in terms of standing out from the pack you know you saw a lot of retraction especially at the top of course and then you know how that's all evolving but you know if we could fast forward a year here and i know that this is pretty impossible these days but i mean what do you think we would be talking about this time next year in terms of you know, I hate to call it the next big thing in, in quick service, but you know, I'm not sure how else you you phrase it. But what is maybe that next you know concept trend you know, to emerge that we're not you know that's not on the radar right now, or it maybe it is on the radar, but just is not at the front of it.
2: I can see a couple different things. I think you know, for one, plant based is going to continue to grow. It's going to grow from being a menu item to being a menu category to being a, you know, full-fledged concept. I think we're already starting to see that, um, you know, in, in some fledgling forms. I also think that there is, you know, this... I, I think there is going to be a little bit of a competition between, you know, that kind of more experiential marketplace and this, like, fully digital world. And I think, you know, the, the concept that's sort of easiest to point to as being a front runner here is, like, a Taco Bell cantina. Like people who are trying to pull consumers back into the building, you know, trying to connect with consumers on that level to develop that brand loyalty that will support them, you know, for delivery and online ordering and all of that. But, you know, experiential eating, it has been, you know, we've seen that show up with kind of immersive restaurants and entertainment, and we're starting to see that kind of trickle down into kind of the the limited service world as well. And so I think, I think there's going to be a, a continued rise.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm very interested to see if more brands start serving alcohol in that same vein, you know, Taco Bell, Cantinas, you know, whether or not they use that as a way to get people back, you know, in inside the, because I think we, you know, we're seeing a little bit of a, you know, there are a lot of full service chains now that have brought their price points down more to fast casuals level, but sort of lead with that bar, you know, and able to, you know, build checks that way and to offer experiences or to lead with it in a way that, they think counter service cannot, and I'm curious to see if that that starts to narrow that gap. You know, if operators look at that, I know that on a franchisee standpoint, that's kind of difficult with liquor licenses and what have you. But, but you can see it maybe in in some markets. You know, being a thing. I know there's brands like Chiba Hut that have full bars and are are very successful branding around that kind of quirkiness and that social vibe and and sort of welcoming people back into restaurants now as we you know, seek out a different, you know, world than eating on our couch, you know, all the time, but (laughs) yeah. And you know, that, that
1: gets, uh, that can get complicated in making something, a place that you want to go for breakfast, but also that you want to go after work for happy hour, right. That feels right for both occasions, or if you want to blend different occasions, uh, where there's a bar or, or, you know, where there's no bar. And, um, I think there's more and more of that happening, more of that really careful curation of day part and transformation between day parts, because everybody's trying to get more juice for less squeeze. Everybody wants to make the most of their real estate. Everybody, you know, I think that this is a a rapidly disrupting space right now, economically, not least, and everybody's reevaluating the models and how they can maximize their returns.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to put you guys on the spot now we're going to do this all month long because it's December and this is what you're supposed to do. But I want you to just, just give me one big prediction for next year. Now I know that that is hard to do, as we mentioned before, just as it is to predict trends, but I will say that of the people that we've asked to give us predictions, you have to be the most qualified considering this is what you all do. So I'm not going to apologize for putting you all on the spot, but, if you want to just offer one big bold prediction for next year,
2: oh, that's a good question. You know, I, it's funny because we, we did this at the end of last year, and I think I think mine was mine was wrong. I was I was predicting the the high octane cocktail
0: um,
2: as a as kind of a rebellion against the low the low alcohol cocktail movement. Um, but thinking, you know, specific to to QSR and and limited service. I, you know, I it, it I think it is kind of the return to the restaurant, and and how limited service can even pull that off. I, I realize that's that's building upon a little bit of what I just said, but I think it it is going to be you know this this battle to get consumers out of their home, especially in that limited service, and in you know especially in that limited service environment, and making that kind of worth their while. I think we see a lot of you know especially the fast casual concepts and things like Taco Bell Cantina. You know, the reason they're serving alcohol is because they want to be stealing share from full-service restaurants. They want you to come in and sit down and have your meal there. That's kind of their next big frontier once they've maxed out their delivery platforms and they've, you know, maxed out, you know, their, you know whatever online ordering, you know, and all of that their consumers are going to do. That's kind of a, the next big occasion for them to tackle. Graham, what about you?
1: I think that we, we've we been talking about plant-based here and we've been asking where plant-based is going. My prediction is that this time next year, we'll see a lot of the folks who, uh, some of the energy, which is in plant-based right now, will have moved away from plant-based and towards cultivated meat. That is meat that is grown, that is meat, that is meat cells, but it ain't grown in an animal.
0: Yeah, you've seen that now in chicken, right? I mean, that's becoming a more common thing. I saw Montina drink a very San Francisco-looking green uh, (laughs) drink there a second ago. You know, we, I
2: get made fun of for that every single day <laughs> in the office.
0: Yeah, here here in North Carolina, we have cheer wine, and uh, I don't know. Ben is actually from North Carolina, and I I think cheer wine tastes like cherries, uh, basically. Cheer uh, a big one, yeah. Medicine soda, but oh, Maybe I that's a sacrilegious comment.
3: Mm. I like cheer wine. I mean, I mean, it's not um, it's not my always my go to, but I I do love the uh the flavor. It's definitely um. Solid choice when you're in a, in a pinch, for sure.
0: I don't know what pinch you're in where you're grabbing a cheer wine, but oh, no. Dr. Pepper, too. Don't understand the flavor profile of, this, of two, those two drinks. For anyone who loves those, I'm sorry. You don't like Dr. Pepper, either? No, I don't, I don't know what it tastes like. It no. bothers me. We're going to have I, a conversation off podcast about that. <laughs> I mean, it's that and Mountain Dew, too. Those three things, as, as in the soda world, I don't, they're just not for me. Not knocking them, I just don't, I don't understand what I'm drinking and I can't get, not that, you know, if you have a, I mean, if you have a giant green juice, at least it's like I'm drinking the earth, you know, <laughs> if you want to say it. And you know it's healthy too, so that's kind of the difference. Yeah, I felt
3: healthy just looking at her sip it, honestly.
0: Although I will say that uh, that Blue Mountain Dew at Taco Bell, that Baja Blast, is one of those things that I I always get when I'm there and then I kind of don't understand why I did that. So I think that's a great product launch maybe one of the best in their history along with the Doritos taco but anyway um, so I think that's all the questions we have for for today and you know we thank you guys so much for joining us. It was great. You know, we look forward to seeing what concepts you launch and you know for anyone, I don't know if you have a place you want people to come find you if you you know if our listeners want to find you on social media through email if you want to kind of just sign off for everybody.
1: Yeah, this has been super fun. Thank you both. And thank you, everybody. Um, It's been great talking about this stuff. It's what we love to do. Uh, You can come find us at theculinaryedge.com. It gives you a little bit of a window into what we're doing every day. It's probably the best place to find us.
2: And we have the same Instagram handle, theculinaryedge. But yeah, thank you so much for hosting. This has been really great.
0: You know, thank you for joining us. And for everybody listening, thank you again. And we'll see you next time.